0: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast, episode 35, The Thin Red Line. I guess there's actually not a the, right? No, there is. The Thin Red, red the. Line. There is a the. The Thin Red Line from 1998, of course, Terrence Malick's film. Uh, with me, as always, is Mr. Cullen McFader. What's Hello. up, dude? Not much. Yeah, I finally our, uh our, our name for this podcast is appropriate. So there you go. Ooh, there you go. Well, <laughs> I, I've i always been quite fond of the, the name of our podcast and yes. it is especially appropriate here. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, everybody, um, thanks for uh, hopping aboard the Soldiers mm-hmm. of Cinema ship. Uh, I'm excited to discuss this film. It's been so long since I've seen it. Uh, this was your choice. I yes. know this yeah. is one of your favorite films. So let's, like yep. jump, let's jump in on on one of my most favorite uh topics that we discuss about these films which is our personal relationship and like kind Mm -hmm. of how 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 we discovered these films or or maybe how they discovered us and and kind of what that process was like so if you don't mind why don't you jump on in and yeah
1: sure share your personal story so i uh first saw this kind of early high school okay um and i'd seen a few other malik movies i'd seen badlands and i'd seen um uh tree of life um this was probably around 2011 2012 okay and um i remember not really expecting much from this going into it i assumed kind of that malik had done this as like a studio picture like that it That's was sort a... of like how herzog did a few studio like you know like that there's that whole thing about like herzog doing studio pictures and people think that it kind of like bastardizes him uh-huh and so i guess that going into it i sort of like assumed a similar thing which was like that that's interesting that that this wasn't malik's movie this was a studio film that they just you know it was a war movie that they were like let's get malik to direct it which would have been an (laughs) odd choice in the first place but (laughs) yeah um and of course you know i wasn't i couldn't have been proven more wrong than when i was watching it um the first time and and you know fell in love with it and it quickly raised the ranks to being probably my favorite malik movie um i i think this movie's you know Beautiful um, visually and, you know, its themes and the way it's... You Mm -hmm. know, the the subject matter, I think, is handled so brilliantly and so uniquely. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I think that there's this just dream-like sensation that kind of carries you through the whole movie um yeah. even in battle and in the battle scenes are really really horrific in this movie they're very right. visceral they're very intense real and yeah. intense um but there's still this this kind of odd you know juxtaposition of beauty um within those moments and and so i think that it's um you know it's one of those situations, I think, where it's like you think that a director would not be a fit for a, a war movie like this or, or any, you know, there's numerous yeah. situations where directors have been odd choices, but they wind up being the perfect choice because of how differently they look at the genre or how the differently they look at the subject. Yeah, matter I mean, you wouldn't bring such you, a new
0: voice to it. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't instantly. Yeah, you wouldn't instantly, uh, you know, especially in 98. I mean, at the time of the film's release, uh, you know, Malik had been gone. He'd been off the scene for, I think, what Since about 77. 20 years? Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think it was kind of, people were surprised that he was back directing, period. And then, you yeah. know, uh, Badlands and um, Oh uh, Days of Heaven, right? Mm. Uh, the two films he shot before. So yeah, not an obvious choice, but it's interesting. I mean, you came to the film kind of out of chronological order. Yes. Um, yeah. So you had already seen some of the films he'd made. After he had made this film, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I could completely see how it would catch you off guard. I think that's so interesting that you kind of assumed or you thought, you know, uh, that (laughs) that he would just he had like sold out and he was hired to do like a some Mm -hmm. cheesy war film or something. I I wish I could remember and I can't. I mean, I, uh, how the film was marketed at the time, it would be interesting. It, to... I've,
1: it's actually really interesting to watch the trailer yeah. because I think the okay. trailer and the marketing was very much riding the line of Saving Private Ryan, yeah. which of course came out a few months prior right. to this. Right. Um, and so you watch the trailer and it's all the action scenes. It's all like the explosions and the it battles. It looks like and it's going to be a, like a
0: straightforward war film. Yeah. Right. Which
1: explains why there was such a kind of split audience reaction when it came out of people expecting saving private ryan part two like saving private ryan in the pacific they were expecting this right. brutal gory uh you know which there are certainly elements of that in this but i would say on a, a mass scale this movie is not about necessarily the or at least the centerpiece of this film is not about the the battles or the the violence um, mm-hmm. but rather the effect of the violence and both on the people and nature and you know in typical malik fashion there's a lot of yeah i mean in
0: it's movie a- for sure i mean and we'll definitely uh get into a lot of those you know different aspects of how this film how how malik handled the subject matter so much differently than you know not Mm -hmm. to say that saving private ryan doesn't have in its own way a meditation Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. on the same general kind of areas that this film has a meditation Similar wavelength but it couldn't be different in how they're handling the subject matter for sure i I could imagine uh you know if you went in thinking this is going to be a pretty straightforward you know world war ii kind of patriotic action movie yeah you're going to be wondering like why did the film open on a crocodile or alligator i can never remember. i can't ever remember which one's which don't I think it's a hate. black caiman <laughs> but it's like I, I or, I, if I had why am i staring why am i staring at trees and birds and like yeah yeah fields? why in the middle of the battle scene
1: is there like a dead <laughs> bird fluttering on the ground I'm like,
0: yeah. it's yeah so you're gonna be confused you might be a little bit thrown off well i you know um i honestly cannot i don't have a specific recollection of the first time that i've seen this film i was uh i would have been graduating college uh Mm -hmm. right when this film came out and uh i am sure that i saw it now i don't i can't remember if i saw it in the theater or if i saw it maybe at home you know uh after it had come out on home release either on cable or via what would it have been i mean maybe vhs or dvd it's it was right, right up, at the, right like, the inception line. of, of DVDs dvd coming out yeah, yeah so could have been either one um but i i don't have a really strong recollection uh i know that at the time i was not terribly familiar with Terrence Malick. i hadn't seen either of his previous films having been gone i mean he hadn't made a film basically since i had been born mm-hmm. so i didn't have a whole lot of you know kind of Uh, baggage let's say or pre-existing kind of conditions to go into the film but i also don't now this could just be like i'm getting old my memory's not great but but i don't have a a specific strong recollection of having seen the film now interestingly too um although i have seen other of, of his films uh since this one i hadn't gone back and revisited this film i think since you know, the early 2000s when I first seen it. I haven't seen Mm -hmm. this film in forever. Um, I didn't even own it. I had to go and I bought the Criterion disc, which is fantastic, by the way. Uh, I highly recommend it, and there's some mm-hmm. great supplements on that. But, Completely
1: director-approved like, yeah, scans it, and all that. It's yeah.
0: beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, I, I wish they made a 4K, but even at this 1080p, it's outstanding. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's in its correct aspect ratio. I know a lot of times it's not shown in its correct aspect ratio when, when it's broadcast or streamed, mm-hmm. I guess. it's. I'm old when I... So things are no longer broadcast right it's <laughs> it's all streaming. streaming now everything's <laughs> streaming so yeah. it's I'm an old fart what can I say but uh but yeah I uh, so I hadn't seen it in a long time so I, I mean frankly it felt like I was watching this film for the first time mm-hmm. um I I really uh couldn't remember anything about this film I so for me it was like I'm watching this for the first time which was actually fantastic so um, yeah I mean I think that that
1: every time it kind of um it's long and it's slow yeah yep, but yep. it doesn't I, I would say, at least in my opinion, it do, it doesn't feel it like I I, I it's just one of those movies that I sit down and watch, and it's three hours long, and it's yeah. it's again, it's not fast paced. There's a lot of shots of just like nature and stuff like that, and I I get to the end of this movie and go like, damn, I want to see an eight hour cut of this movie. <laughs> like, <I'll, laughs> well, I'll, apparently I watch there this was
0: there was close. I think apparently yeah. there was like what a seven hour or five hour. Well, and I know. would I would happily like I would sit down and watch that. Any
1: day. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. Something I, about I,
1: this movie is very hypnotizing. I think I, it's, Well, you know, I
0: think that's a good point. And I think, you know, I, I, uh, I definitely think that it would be good to, you know, you kind of, I think you kind of have to be in a certain mindset, right? You have mm-hmm, to kind of be mm-hmm. prepared to watch a Malik film. And, you know, this film is no different. I think if you're distracted and it's so easy and well i I don't know i'm gonna get on my soapbox i feel like i have to get on a soapbox every episode for just a second i mean we've all got our phones with us and everybody wants to like go on imdb real quick and check out like where do i know that actor from or you know you get a text message or you get a phone call or whatever the heck else um it's easy to get distracted and certainly for a three-hour film it's like easy to kind of have your attention all over the place some films you can maybe do that a little bit but this film I feel like you really have to dedicate Malik makes films that require you to be an active participant you have mm-hmm. to actively watch this film and listen to it um and and so you kind of, I think you have to kind of go into it with a mindset of like really being prepared to give 3 hours of your attention um it, totally. it, it yeah. I think it demands that of you and if you aren't there for it I think that you could really come away from having seen this film, you know, being totally uh, underimpressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know because you're going to kind of come away with like well there were some great action scenes and and then I don't know there was some kind of stuff that I didn't quite understand yeah, a lot and of people
1: talking a lot of <laughs> and like so, nature
0: yeah. and, I, and I'm like I'm you know he cuts away and, and kind of assumes a, you know a lot of things take place off screen a lot of action is assumed or implied yeah. rather yes and, yeah yeah and and so you know you're like hey what in the heck did I just miss like a whole battle scene why are these you know soldiers coming back all wrecked or why is this or that so you know I, you definitely definitely have to give yourself over to this film mm-hmm. but I think yeah, when you, you do you gotta
1: you gotta kind of buy into it um, yeah yeah but I think I mean it's there's no better opening shot than to, to you know to start this movie on than that alligator because I think that it or the, the black Cayman or whatever it yeah. is um because I think that in and, and that that score it's an Arvo Arvo uh what's his name Arvo Platt Arvo Pratt I think so um, yeah but he you know that that, that it's just this chord on an organ that just like mm. grows and grows and to me, that's like Malik kind of saying, you know, okay, sit down. The curtains opening, and it's yeah. it's this feeling of just like, okay, now you're you're. It's it's like just seeing the clock in a hypnosis thing, of like <laughs> you're just suddenly transported. Yeah, you're getting and, uh, sleepy. Yeah, well, exactly, and like that's what that shot
0: feels like to me. Is, is and doesn't it you remind know. you of Herzog? I mean, you know, totally, go, totally. going back to our roots of the podcast here. You know, if if any of you are, are newer listeners but you know our podcast started our focus was narrowly on herzog and mm-hmm. we're going to get to some of this a little more but i mean that was one of the first things i thought was ha you know this totally reminds me of the iguana or the the albino alligator you know uh, totally reminded me Uh, Yes. Some of Herzog's work. And and there are some really interesting parallels, actually, and differences uh, to Herzog's work and philosophy of film that we will kind of talk about as we go through some of the other aspects of this one. But I mean, let's talk a little bit about about the story Mm -hmm. Um, and and we'll kind of branch out onto some other things. But. Um, I, I think it's interesting we've, we've talked about it a little bit with its reception when it was released next to Saving Private Ryan, but Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely there's some interesting differences between this film, uh, and your kind of traditional Hollywood war film. Mm -hmm. And, And it's interesting too, that, that it's even about World War II. I guess it was kind of strange that we had, uh, Saving Private Ryan and this film, two films about World War II. Come out when you know so many war films were actually really focused on Vietnam. We'd kind of yes. gone through this whole yeah. era of whole era of World War II films in the late forties and the fifties. um Yeah, kind and, of ending with almost like a bridge
1: too far. Um, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Kind of the the finale of those big, you know, star-studded war epic, films, yeah. right? And you know, Great escape and, Yeah,
0: yeah, and then we, but then of course the Vietnam War heats up. Uh, and then you have uh, coverage of the Vietnam War on television, unlike mm-hmm. any other war before that. And so it's very prominent in the... Yeah, so you had Apocalypse Now, Platoon, you had all these... Uh, yeah. So many casualties of war, Born on the Fourth of July. I mean, you oh, could we, hunter. Could, yes. we yeah. could go oh, on, on, and on and on, on and on. So many uh, Vietnam War... So we almost kind of come back, you know, after this long cycle of, of films on the Vietnam War to World War II. But I mean you know clearly malik is treating the subject matter differently than than most other directors Mm -hmm. would treat the subject. and that's again
1: like i i'm a big fan of saving private ryan i think it's a great film but i agree this is such a different i would almost say that because of course um the vietnam war was broadcast and 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 displayed in media so like actively while it was happening that the vietnam you know vietnam war films very rarely were about heroism or patriotism
0: yeah
1: um whereas world war ii films very much were and so i think that it's almost to me this is malik doing a world war ii film in the style of a lot of and i don't mean like these these stylistically but i just mean in the thematically the the, the way that he looks at the war right is not heroic anyway it's not and it's you know it's not a criticism of like um you know the soldiers themselves or something like that but it's right. very much a criti- criticism of there's this entire theme that just continues through it about about like that it's about property that that um you know the amount of times that somebody will go out to do something completely meaningless and then get shot for doing yeah. it and it's like you know well it's a meditation these... on violence i think yeah, and it's and violence a meditation especially, on yeah. on
0: the origin and kind of the necessity or you know or asking the questions of of mortality and violence and you know what in the world, you know? What is it about the human condition? What is it about human nature that we yeah. find ourselves in these in these absurd? I mean, you know, Malick has a certain detachment sometimes to these, you know, uh, in his in this film, where you know it, it's it really illustrates the absurdity of a lot of yes. this, or or yeah. and, and futility and just the waste um, of life. Um, well, he
1: and he does something brilliantly too which is just this this every single death feels impactful and so again you compare it to like the opening scene of saving private ryan when they're storming the beaches and it's you know there's a lot of death it's very gruesome it's very it's impactful graphic, that, that, yeah. that moment and but i would almost say Malick takes it to this not, another level of every single death death is like a punch in the gut in this film. And, you know, every single time someone dies, you get a reaction shot of, of another person. Not, it's intense. Not being sad and crying it's for intimate. them. intimate. But just looking at them and being like, oh, there they go. That's it. That's life. I mean, it's you know, intimate. That's, that's they're done. Yeah. I mean, I think, exactly. Mo, you
0: know, it, and it's interesting. I think that he he does something really unique here. And I think he kind of accomplishes, you know, uh, there's two sides to this. On the one side, I agree with you. You know, mm-hmm. you have these characters die Um, Now, it's a huge ensemble cast, just, you Mm -hmm. know, a a Mm -hmm. huge ensemble cast and and a huge ensemble cast of people that we know. I mean, many of these actors were people that someone would recognize. So, they carry a certain amount of recognition in with them, which I think is actually really important because there are so many characters. We don't get to spend a lot of time with them. There's not a lot of backstory. There's not a lot of character development. So we don't know these men. And and it's predominant. This film is basically filled with only men but no. we don't know them so i think it's an important casting choice that he made where the vast majority of these characters are known actors so i think you bring in like for example woody harrelson's death where he has a he has a very uh you know intense and intimate death scene there and
1: again m- arguably meaningless
0: it, well um, and certainly yeah. because it's just an accident he dies because yeah. of an accident actually but but my yeah. point was just that had had we not had a pre-existing relationship with the actor, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I yeah. don't know that we would have had any time to relate to him mm-hmm. so such that we would care about his death, but we do. And I think a part of that, a part of that, uh is because uh Malik cast name actors. Yeah. Now now it's interesting though that we have this, right? This that where we have these individual deaths and they're intimate and they're intense and we feel them. But there's also kind of this sense that there is no single character that that mm-hmm. all of these men are just one big character or consciousness i i got a sense of mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and 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 i don't know how these two things kind of exist at the same time but but somehow malik was able to do that and and i don't know that they, it it lends itself like a very you know it's almost like they're individuals but yet they're also parts of a consciousness and i think there's even some narration some voiceover that kind of speaks, you know, ask a question about: Are we all parts of one large consciousness, right? And so it's almost like humanity as a whole, like, is just kind of our violence is just turned in on ourselves, and we're killing ourselves, and it's just humanity. Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. if that ever, if did that come across to you at all? Did no, totally. Never... I mean, there's
1: just, I, I think it's one of the points you made that's really interesting too is this whole idea that it's like there's this individual basis and this macro basis mm-hmm. and. You know, there's this whole theme throughout the movie of uh or this like recurring kind of motif almost of like water, that they need water, they need water, they yeah, need right. water. And and yeah. it's again, it's one of those things that it's like not really many other war films do that, or show somebody waking up in the morning in the mud and this realization that oh like, you know, I'm still here, god damn it. Like yeah. it's it's like that <laughs> right. that there's that kid that wakes up and he's covered in the mud because they've been sleeping all night and he just like that just the no, there's no vi- um like vocalization of it it's just that he looks around him and you can just see on his face that he's like he right. probably had a dream where he was very far away and back <laughs> home or something and he's yeah. woken up back in this hell um and so there's yeah there's this like there's this kind of again this dichotomy of humanizing it and making it really personal and making it very much you know you go into the flashbacks and memories of many of these characters and learn about their their relationships and their their um you know, in some cases divorce and stuff like that. And, right. but on the same time, ta- at the same time, it's very much used as sort of, I would say like a blank slate to say that these can be apl- applied to anybody. In yeah. this, you know, it's, it's very much something that's like saying that this huge squad or this platoon of troops is, is very much a, is all of us.
0: It's all of us.
1: Um, all of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and it really challenges the whole idea of like the necessity of war, um, and and death and it, it i think it it doesn't offer an answer and intentionally so it doesn't well, offer an answer but it really begs the question of like you know there's always this line and very much in, in association with world war ii especially of like you know there's no good in war but there is good and why we fight wars that that it was net you know that everything that happened was a necessity that it's necessary because we had to fight you know the actions of evil, right? I mean, but this film
0: doesn't even, it's interesting though, that there's none of that context in this film, right? I mean, in so many of these, especially world war two, right? Because world war two is considered kind of, you know, the, the necessary war, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, Vietnam and many of the battles in the Middle East there, that's, you know, it's not no consensus whatsoever and, and generally kind of a consensus in another direction. But yes. for World War Two, I mean, it's, you know, uh, it's the one of the most it's a recent war, a relatively recent war, where we by far and away have the most kind of moral authority, if you yeah, will, clear good on the and allied evil. side. Yeah. Right. And which is often not the case, of course, uh, not to say that the allied forces didn't contribute, you know, horrific atrocities as yes, well. Of yeah. course, that it, that happens in war. But but all that context is gone, though. I mean, it, you don't have we you, you don't have anything here where there's there, there's no context that the Japanese are horrible or mm-hmm. that this sits that, the, that this movie sits inside of a larger issue of, you know, uh, the European conflict or Hitler or. Uh, genocide of Jews or any of these things, you know, and, and the Japanese are hardly even represented as humans, frankly. Uh, they're not even, you know, Malik doesn't even um, translate their dialogue. So we don't even know what they're saying unless you speak Japanese or can understand mm-hmm. Japanese. Uh, and there's some interesting
1: moments with that that we'll get into later. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but we
0: don't, you know, we don't follow any of that. Watching the film, yeah. There's yeah. no, there's none of the, none of the Japanese are, are personalized or humanized in any way. We get to see some of their suffering. And so I guess in that sense, there's a little bit of, a, of humanization. But I mean, it's, you know, so there is none of that context. And I get a sense that it's almost, you know, maybe more so than a meditation on war, I I almost get a sense that it's, uh, like a meditation on just the, the, on mortality and, Mm -hmm. and kind of that we're all marching toward this, this ultimate destination that, you know, no matter what you do, uh, you've got to go there and, you know, you may be able to, you know, uh, like you may be able to refuse, a, you know, a command here or there and kind of sidestep a few things on the way. But ultimately, right, it's like you're going to ultimately have to climb up that hill and you're yeah. ultimately going to have to to die. And that's kind of a, you know, obviously we all struggle with that in our own ways, uh, kind of the recognition and, and meditation on our own mortality. But which it's just very kind of... grounded, I think. Yeah, it,
1: it, it, it's it's like you said, it's it's. Um... It doesn't deal with the greater context, you know. There's no moment of people running into battle with an American flag and planting it down on the ground. There's no, (laughs) yeah, um, like even I mean, and and even you know the opening of Saving Private Ryan, the kind of prologue of Saving Private Ryan, where it starts with it's it's very much a you know a centered on the idea of the the American sacrifice, right? Whereas whereas this one. There's not much mention of like why this is being done. You know, what, yeah. like there's the the specific battle things of like we need to take this island so that we can get to the next island and hop all the way up to the uh, you know the Japanese mainland. But
0: but it's just a tactical or a strategic. Yeah, it's it's all just about. It's not and it's, and it's
1: almost intentionally banal. Like it's it's yeah. it's almost. I would say that the that that's kind of what the movie's trying to emphasize is is this question of like you know why is it so you know deeply within our nature to send a bunch of people to their deaths for and again right. there's this direct line that sean penn says a few times which is after you know a man dies in his arms and he sort of yeah. says like it's just about property like that's just what about, about property and it's, it's so, just think about that a that hill a, it's about And a so again strip. it's like it's this examination of the second world war unlike any other you know especially western second world war movies where it's very much stripping away this whole idea of of like The, the, what are we sacrificing for? And what are we, and like, there's, yeah, there's no newsreels of, Mm. of Pearl Harbor. There's no, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, there's never this moment of like, we're going out to face the great evil. It's just very much this, I think, what makes the movie very haunting in a lot of ways is how matter of fact it is.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that, that, you know, there's, and I think, again, there's no moment that better emphasizes that when, than when, you know, Jared Leto's very short moment in the movie, but he sends these two guys forward to just, could basically peer over a hill to see what's there. And then and they get shot killed. down. And yeah. and he's just sort of like Jared it cuts back to Jared Leto and he's just looking at where they were. And yeah. and there's no there it doesn't suddenly break out into violence and suddenly everyone's oh no and screaming and yelling. He just looks at them and is like well we know I mean that was their use and the guys yeah. looking at each other but before they go over they're like yeah, we're it, we're walking to our deaths. You yeah know, there's yeah. this really again it's, it's a matter of fact um it's not uh, there's no cheesiness to it, I think, no. and I don't. I don't mind cheesiness. You know, it like, makes a lot it of movies so much it. scarier but to me. Yeah, it's it, very it, matter of fact. It's know?
0: really disturbing. It yeah. actually is so much more disturbing than you know when people try to like um, you know m- make a melodrama about yes, mortality. That's a good word for it. Yeah, uh, and a lot of times that's you know, and it's kind of an inclination because as a filmmaker, you might have this tendency, or an actor, a performer, or writer you know, you, you might have this tendency to be like, okay, you know, I, I really want to emphasize this, this horrific loss that this death, you know, and you get like the gnashing of teeth and crying and flailing and, you know, all these kind of things. But it's so much more haunting and so mm-hmm. much more impactful when that loss of life, I mean, because it's like an indifference, right? And that indifference kind of is representative of the indifference of the universe to all yeah. of our lives. I mean. Thousands of people are dying every day. I don't know how many, 100,000 are probably dying every day of all kinds of things from mm-hmm. from old age after a, a comfortable life lived to, you know, a, a child starving to death somewhere or yeah, to or, homicide, yeah. or homicide or homicide and violence you know, and yeah. war and genocide. And it's just this like not to get not to get too, too down on things, but it's just mm-hmm. a, an overwhelming indifference. And yes. I get a sense that that, you know, at least my and everybody will have a different interpretation. But that's kind of a a sense that I get. Malik does a really good job of using this, you know, World War II this story in World War Two to kind of illustrate this larger aspect of just the indifference, the the smallness sometimes of our lives, uh, it's yeah, it's kind of overwhelming. It's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's,
1: I'd say that again, just to contrast with with Saving Private Ryan, That like there's horrifying moments of Saving Prior Ryan of violence and and of of brutality and things like that. But I'd say that this this movie I think moves me much more because Mm. of its matter of factness, because it strips away this the the like you said, the melodrama of of like you know, what you don't get the moments of um, you know the the conversations in Saving Private Ryan of humanizing these characters and trying to make them like worth it, so that when they die, they you know you feel it, it means yeah. something and it's and it's it's meaningful. Whereas this movie really doesn't bother with that. It just and in a very real way, in a very real sense, and and you get you know the moment of um, the, when characters cry in this movie, the camera just kind of sits there unwaveringly and watches them and there's that moment of the guy crying yeah. on the little stoop in the in the rain and he's just it, like it's like a five you know probably minute long shot of him just like crying Yeah there's the great rain. confidence
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean clearly I mean Malik uh, this is like goes without saying but I'll say it cuz you know I mean yeah the the confidence that he has in in the in the in in the story that he wants to tell in the takes um uh are really it's quite amazing and yeah. I think too you know I think too it's like it this the poetry that exists in this film, you know that the voiceover narration that comes from mm-hmm. Malik um, You know the and there's also a visual poetry too, right? There's a lot of like setting of tone There's the using of this narration and the poetry there combined with a lot of this this visual poetry that kind of puts you like you would like you you started off the podcast by saying that it kind of puts you in this Meditative or hypnotized state, right? Mm-hmm. and I think it, it really does an extraordinary job of of allowing then for these moments to really hit you mm-hmm. um it yeah. kind of opens you up to the experience so to speak I, it, maybe it closes some people off that's possible but i mean i think its intention is to when you connect with it it opens you up so that yeah. you're kind of raw to it in a sense right yeah, yeah. It's, it's my sense i i mean let, let's talk a little bit about two then i mean uh you know you talked about um uh, story aspects, I think, you know, obviously the cinematography of this film, you know, the visual nature of Malick's films are, you know, what so many people focus on and are mm-hmm. kind of instantly like, you know, obvious to somebody. Um, John Toll is the cinematographer here. Yeah. Uh, the guy's done a million things. It's, yeah, a ton, a ton of stuff a yeah. ton of stuff um but um, i mean really outstanding work here the,
1: yes it's a beautiful beautiful movie yeah and,
0: and i mean so just you know a little bit of this right 35 millimeter film of course anamorphic there's a t- lot of steadicam mm-hmm. there's um i i want to not that we're going to focus on technical stuff but this is pretty interesting to me because uh, i was curious while i was watching it i'm trying to think okay well i know they didn't set a bunch of dolly track in these like rolling you know hills with mm-hmm. four feet of grass and you know uh a lot of uneven terrain how did they get all this really smooth beautiful dolly like camera work and um and what they did actually what i learned is that they used a a really large crane but instead of using that for any kind of elevation they would actually use that to kind of sweep
1: yeah Uh, for all the lateral movement and it
0: was such a it was such a long crane that the arc was shallow so that they could cheat it such that it looked like you were dollying in a perfectly linear path or a straight path as opposed to an arc which and you know of course they pushed and pulled it as well but it really is amazing especially when they you know you're following the soldiers in the grass and it's able to just tr- to just float right in there it's incredible obviously, yeah obviously a lot of steady cam uh big part of how malik directed this film there was a lot of improvisation from what i understand and they improvised not just dialogue but blocking which of because they use so much natural light, they could do that. So instead of actors having to hit these very specific marks because the you know everything's been lit a specific way, using mm-hmm. almost all natural light outdoors, their actors were often able to just go wherever they wanted.
1: Yeah, which is yeah. amazing. And, and, um, I think that it's also the movie that really uh, kind of solidified Malik's style. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you go back yeah. and watch Days of Heaven, there's, there's, you know, you can it's, see that yeah. he's starting to kind of get to the point that he will arrive at, but because he took twenty years um, between the movies, there's, you know, and did no directing between that of, of major motion pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, this movie really is the first one that you watch, and you go like, okay, this is still the style that Malik is doing. Like this is still how he directs. Whereas if right. you go back and watch Badlands and Days of Heaven, it's very much more. Grounded, I'd say, in traditional sort of graphic sense, shot traditionally. Yeah, yeah, lots of you know, not so much handheld, not so much. Um, just mostly, mostly really beautiful still, but but very traditionally yeah. shot. Whereas this movie really opened him up, I think, to and perhaps that was because of the new technologies, the lighter cameras, the um, you know Steadicam having become such a big thing in the eighties. Yeah. Um, that he was finally able to really embrace the style that perhaps he'd been wanting to do for so long. Um but yeah this movie really the camera really floats. Um yep. the, you very know, dynamic there's and there's you know the beauty of anamorphic too is that you can get um you can use longer lenses like fifty millimeter lenses, but you still have the width, um like the horizontal width of um, like 20 millimeter on a or 25 on a 50 yeah. millimeter anamorphic lens. So you're, you still can frame these close ups of characters that look like they're on a 50 millimeter. But at the same time, when you use that 50 millimeter to shoot a, a landscape, that it becomes this beautiful wide. And you get, you know,
0: you get the it, nice yeah. deep focus. I mean, this yeah. movie, I, I, pretty much everything is in focus the mm-hmm. entire film. And you're right. You've got this, you know, you'll have an actor in the foreground just three feet away from the lens. And then, you know, and you've got an actor. I don't, you know, I don't even, you know, hundreds of feet out in a, in a, on a hill or in a field in the background and they're in focus, really mm-hmm. deep focus. Um, and, uh, yeah, really, really beautiful The, the, I'm especially intrigued by the, the lighting, the use of natural light, um, is just it's, even in the interiors, it's, um, it's just, it's, it's exquisite. It's mm-hmm. one of the best looking films I've, I've seen.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, just, I think that the thing is too, that it really is, um, a highlight of one of my favorite cinematographic styles, which is accentuation, Mm -hmm. um, which is not just putting lights to light a scene and to make things look cool. (laughs) <laughs> but rather putting lights where the light would naturally come from. And I think that that's yeah. really... And, you know, there are plenty of movies, like, I would say... Expressionism is quite the opposite, where it's... Right. Which I like. I like the style of that, too. But for this movie, it just really works super well that... Yeah. It doesn't look lit. Um, well, you know,
0: and it, I think the focus... I mean, if we think about Malick's focus on nature and how vital that is to yes. his theme and yeah. his, you know, I mean, that's clearly something that he is... that That's... That's a major part of of he, what he's trying to express. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if you've got all this unmotivated, unnatural light, uh, clearly, I think you could see how that's going to detract uh, mm-hmm. from something that's clearly so important to him.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, to get into sound, too, the, the movie, the, the Criterion, at least, has a, a little, like, not warning, but little labeling the <laughs> play that says warning, the director warning. wants this movie played loud. I love which it. I think it's great. I love I that. Love it. And and I did. I actually watched this is the first time I'd done this with the movie, but I, I just got these new THX headphones. Yeah. Um, which are, like, incredible. The, the sound depth of them is just is beautiful. But um, And I, I I plugged those into my, you know, I, I used my PlayStation 4 as my Blu-ray player, and I plugged them into the controller so I could listen to all of it, like, yeah. rather than listening to it for my speakers. Right. Um, just listen to it through these headphones, and it was remarkable. Like, it was such an experience that, you know i i now know how i want to watch this movie yeah that's awesome Um, i i thought i was gonna have the
0: neighbors come over to my house (laughs) there you go yeah because he does i mean it is a great movie for playing yeah oh my gosh and the low end on this is i mean yeah obviously with the battle scenes and things the low end is just ridiculous yeah i was watching it in the day because i knew that it would i wouldn't be able to watch it at night like this but yeah i i I use the like surround sound so I had it. it you know, I had it cranked up. I followed criteria. I was like, okay, if the cops come to my house, I can like point to you know the the section on the Criterion Collection where it says like you know listen to this loud. You've got the liability. I mean, like, I've got <laughs> hey hey guys guys guys. What can I say? It's out of my hands. I mean, look, Malik says listen to this loud. What do you want me to do? I don't want I him mean, to show up my house. I, I, right. I, I mean, come on, guys. You can't you can't blame me. But, but yeah, I mean. And I think again it you know there's so many scenes where those nature sounds are so important mm-hmm. to the 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 texture that kind of like the the canvas so to speak yeah. that the film yeah. sits on um, this sound this bed of sound uh is so important and then of course yeah I mean the action scenes are just like it's amazing, bombastic yeah bombastic and active and amazing um mm-hmm. But then you've also got, I mean, you know, uh, Hans Zimmer did some. I, I mean, I think that he ended up making, if I'm not mistaken, something like three or four hours of music. Of yes. course, only yeah. a small piece of which is used in the film. Yeah, uh, it, and uh, certain he didn't do the entire score. But, yeah, a lot uh, of it is pre-existing
1: stuff. But um, yeah, it's... Hans Zimmer's funny because so Hans Zimmer's probably I know I would say the most popular. Uh, film composer these days he's um, one guess, of at least yeah, yeah for yeah. sure like he's he's definitely huge. especially with younger people you know he does yeah he, he's done a lot i've never been a huge fan like i don't think that he's you know and this isn't to say that he's bad It's just it's just that his that his style of, of of composition isn't really just not your my cup of favorite tea. it's not my yeah. it's not my cup of tea um however i will say that there are there are some hans zimmer scores that i really do love and this is one of them like the music i have the soundtrack of this on my phone um there's how, much a few it, moments, how
0: much of it was in the film? Do you, roughly, I'd say about
1: like, f- uh, fifty to sixty percent ish. Okay, okay. Um, but I also think that the soundtrack is is not the full four. It's obviously not the full four hours that he wrote. It's just sure. pretty much taken from the moments that are in the movie. But um, the there's a lot of it in there that does sort of sound like that kind of classic Zimmer. That is that is very like I think the moment when they're finally they've caught captured the hill and they're running in. and It's a little bit too forward for my tastes Mm, but there's mm. also like my favorite moment in the movie is that beautiful montage with the song is called light and if you you know if you watch listen to the podcast and after this i would highly recommend go go check it out yeah it's a really beautiful song and it's um this montage near the near the end of the movie and they're just the montage is so beautiful that the, the way that it's shot and the way that it's edited together with the voiceover but also the The music is really incredible, Um, and it is one of those moments that like really kind of almost wells you up. um, At least Mm. in my case, was really, Mm. really. It's an emotional, emotional moment. It's it's played over that moment actually of the the soldier crying in the rain. When it's just that Mm. still shot of him crying, Um, I think it's just a really, really beautiful moment. So um yeah the soundtrack i think is is great wonderfully chosen now does
0: uh, it have like, any of the chanting i know there is the yes there's um, a few moments of the melanesian yeah. like choral songs so I that was actually recorded
1: chants. for the movie there were pre-existing songs and chants but they but, re-recorded it with a choir gotcha. for the uh for the film and so there's a lot of beautiful stuff like that um but no i think that the yeah i think i really do enjoy the soundtrack for the most part um and it never, and I say for the most part with a big asterisk, which is that it never, I think, detracts from the film. Like, I don't think there's a point in the movie where I'm like, okay, yeah. cool it down. Because I think I think Malick is very smart and intentional in where he uses, you know, music and where he doesn't. And uh, I think that he does a really great job of balancing that in this film of, of, you know, where should music sound hopeful and inspiring? Where should it sound, you know, questioning? And where should it sound... Dark but not
0: too on of... the nose though yeah I not don't exactly think that it's, it's over all the very top much a, yeah. which a lot of war movies get into that kind yes. of over the yeah. top kind of patriot you know patriotic kind of you know, you get. There's no just... trumpets
1: in this movie. There's no <laughs> brass. Yeah. Like, there's, no, yeah, there's none of that. Like, because that's something that you very often do here in, in, in war films where it's like they try to almost mimic the sound of like military music, which is yeah. a lot of marching, a marching lot of band snares, type, yeah. a lot of you know, got, trumpets. The drummer, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You've and got, where yeah. there's none of that. The snares. The, yeah. The music, much like the cinematography and much like the direction, is very hypnotizing. It's very much meant. Again, you start the movie with the um, Arvo Platt uh that just that just one chord on an organ and it's like this incredible um this mesmerizing just cue of music that just i I think just like shrinks you down into this and brings you really into the world of the movie which i think is a really brilliant way to start the film um so yeah I'm, i'm i'm you know i think the soundscape of this movie just both including music and sound design is really yeah fantastically done uh it, there's something about it that yeah it again and uh, I don't even mean to I keep comparing it to Saving Private Ryan but again there's just
0: this... <laughs> we'll have to retitle this episode like yeah
1: I mean we almost should have watched them back to back but yeah yeah uh, but I think that it is just because of course it is it is a you know an apt comparison because they came out so close together and they're very similar movies on very basic levels Um, but you don't get that you know and again I liked I love John Williams as well but you don't get the very sentimental john williams sounding music in this it's it's right. all very much it's tragic i think is is if i had Ooh. to describe the score okay of this movie one way it's yeah. is that it's more it's more so mourning the tragedy of violence in general rather than trying to heighten the sacrifice or something like that like it's more about the tragedy of it and very much again in line with the rest of the film and the themes of the rest of the film um, Isn't
0: there? I, I I don't know. I'm gonna go out on a little limb here. It's not something that I know much about, but I'm intrigued, and I I'm curious if you have any understanding of what this is. But was there like a weird instrument that was part of this soundtrack mix, like um, like a strange like steel beam stringed instrument? Yeah, that's what it that was like. The it's the what, ticking sound like that. Yeah. What? Yeah. What, is it called like a cosmic beam or something? I'm, I'm not sure exactly what.
1: F- what the name of it is but i do notice it yeah because they do on the criteria and also have a section where they you know yeah dedicated to the music and, and they i discuss think
0: and i think that's there. a huge part of of the unique sound of the soundtrack and mm-hmm. the film and and i have no experience or, or with this instrument or kind of no understanding really but i think it's something like it's like a like a 12 13 something long steel like channel beam that's strung with these these uh steel wires or something Mm -hmm. that has like pickups like on an electric guitar or something i mean it's a it's Mm -hmm. a super wild instrument um i don't know anything about the history of it or or anything but uh i just know that it was used in several places in the film to really give like a you know a, a kind of uh, you know, poetic kind of feel to the mm-hmm. that kind of correlates really nicely with the poetic imagery and uh, narration. But anyway, I was just curious if you knew anything else about that, but it's- Yeah, it's, no, I'm not sure specifically, but I, I do- It's yeah, wild, it's definitely yeah. definitely a ton of, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's get into
1: maybe performances and casting too. Ooh, next. gosh, so, yeah,
0: because boy, is there a is lot of casting. This famous <laughs> movie
1: for yeah. There's a lot of cast in this movie, but it's also a very famous movie for a lot of cut parts. Like a, a lot ton of people yep. who are completely cut from the movie. Like it's amazing. Adrian, well, it's Adrian, Adrian Brody's who. in it a little bit, but Adrian, you know, just as a as a kind of I guess to get us started, Adrian Brody was was cast as the main character, who's mm-hmm. the main character in the book, um, and didn't realize that he had been cut down to only I think it's like. A minute of screen time with no lines, except for one line when he says at the end, I think he tells them that they're coming and we have to to get out of here. That's kind of like his only
0: line in the film. Almost a background. I mean, almost a featured background player. Yes. Uh, Apparently, I mean, he was pretty upset by that. I can certainly understand that. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. before... Pianist. and yeah. Yeah, Brody's breakout with Pianist and... You know, he thought this was going to be, you know, his big break. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, you put in, I don't know how many months of work into this. And, it, you know, it sounds like it was a pretty challenging shoot. You're on location. It's pretty mm-hmm. miserable. He worked hard, no doubt. Uh, and to have that cut. But, I mean, he's not the only one. You also have Mickey Rourke. His his uh, role was completely cut to the point where, I mean, he's not in it at all.
1: And he says, I know you can watch this. There's, there's the deleted scenes where you can see his role. But he says that it was, you know, he considers it the most, the best acting he's ever done that it was like the and best we'll never performance see he's ever had yeah done. it's a shame and, um, um, but you can yeah if you look up the deleted scenes on YouTube you can find it and he is very good I mean it is a very good scene but um, but yeah this is a, this, again it's kind of a famous movie for, yeah I know uh, Billy and, Bob and Thornton Malik is sort of famous for this as well where oh yeah Billy Bob Thornton for, George Clooney's narr- role was significant three hours reviews. of narration
0: Billy Bob yeah. Thornton did three hours of narration apparently for this film all completely cut he's not in it at all not yet. in it at all Bill yeah. Pullman completely yeah. cut Not in it at all. And then... And then you have other other actors who, uh, although they weren't entirely cut out, definitely mm-hmm. had their roles minimized. I think you mentioned George Clooney,
1: yeah, Chauncey um, Riley,
0: C. Riley. I mean, you know, actors that I think most filmmakers would kill to have, you know, be yeah. the lead in their films. And these guys are cut down either completely removed or almost entirely removed. But then of the people that we have left, I mean, it's like a who's who, right? You've got yes, you know, Sean Penn, Nick Nolte, John Travolta, Jim. Wiesel, Woody Harrelson, John Savage. I mean, it just mm-hmm. goes on and on. Um, it just, uh, it,
1: it, John Cusack. Yeah. John Who Cusack. A, oh, yeah, I think, again, like... I, and I'm a big fan of John Cusack, but like it, 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 this movie also, even though these are all really like pretty much everyone in the movie has kind of a bit part with exceptions of a few people.
0: Right. Um, like true. John
1: Cusack doesn't have a big part, um, but he, they're like one of these things where you, you just realize how brilliant a lot of these actors are. Like John Cusack, people think of a lot of, of kind of as just sort of like a, a mid level actor these days. And I think that's really oh, a not disservice if you grew to. up in
0: the eighties, dude.
1: Oh, not. and I, I, and I love a lot of his <laughs> older stuff, but, but I mean if... like in terms of modern context, like you mm. look at the movies that he's done in the past two decades and, yeah, you know they're not necessarily these yeah. these Lower big, great, profile incredible lately. performances, and yeah. um, and I think that that is it's a really big disservice because his performance, even just the moment when he's asking for water for his his troops here, and the way that he again, like he's not angry, he's not playing it angry, he's sort of playing it more as just like you know they could they could die from this, <laughs> like it's right. it's it's this very you know really Matter brilliant of fact, I think again. choice of yeah. of how he how he and I know that Malik isn't. I, as far as I'm aware and as far as I've read up on him, he's not somebody that will like sit down with an actor and be like, no, no, no say it this way. I doubt like, it. He really yeah. does give his actors kind of the freedom to explore these roles and really play around with roles um, because he is such an improvisational director. And so, um, so I think that that, it really does lend a lot of credit to the, the performances in this movie that are great that, It shows you what they can do. Like what a lot of these people, when you're giving them the the chance to kind of play around in these roles, what what they're able to do with them.
0: So, what do you think? I'm kind of curious. I mean, do you have any thoughts, or have you read anything on kind of what happened to these other performances? Then, I mean, so I think I mean any speculation.
1: The big thing, of course, is Jim Caviezel's. Yeah. Being that he was supposed to be a background role, and it was almost that there was a big switch it was Adrian Brody versus was Jim Caviezel. Is that that Jim Caviezel became the main character? Yeah. Um. And I think honestly, like I, I'm not even gonna I, I'm not even gonna draw much more of a distinction than just that. I think Terry Malick in the edit saw the things that he liked and wanted to push on those. Like wanted yeah. to, like he very much wanted to make this almost mosaic of of these moments and. If that meant some actors were going to have only 10% or less of their stuff used, then he was like, that's what, that's what I want my movie to be. And I think that that was a big part of it. And I know people, again, in my personal life and just in general pop culture conversation have really mm. had a lot of discussion about this movie about like, oh, you know, Malik's such an asshole for what he did to Adrian Brody <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> Could he have probably handled that better and let him know prior to the premiere that, you know, hey, you're not the lead of this movie. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that that would have been a nice thing to do, but... I think that people that like, there's a lot of people that say that he shouldn't have done that, that he shouldn't. And I, but to me, I kind of take it from a different angle, which is that, you know, whatever makes the movie better to me is, is what the choice that should be made. And, and I think that, um, and I'm not saying that Adrian Brody was in any way, you know, not good in this movie because we haven't seen most of his performance. But I think that from what you do see of Adrian Brody in the film, I can tell at least just from that little bit. And again, we don't see most of his yeah. performance, so I'm, this is sure, very much speculative. Of course, but, yeah. um But I I find Jim Caviezel's character much more intriguing. Um, and I find that, that character is a much more interesting character to center the plot around, as opposed to... Um, and I think a big reason why uh, Malik would have chosen to cut him, and at least, again, completely speculation, but I can see this being the reason, is that um, Adrian Brody's character, as I said, is the main character of the the book and mm-hmm. the, you know, essentially, arguably and and possibly the the author's kind of voice in the book.
0: Possibly And I think yeah. that
1: Malik realized, and I could see this happening, realizing halfway through shooting, or perhaps during even in the editing process, that Adrian Brody's character is not Malik's character that Jim Caviezel's character like I I see Jim Caviezel's character seeing the world much more similarly to how yes. Malik sees the world yes. and so he yes. wanted to switch that out and sort of say you know what I'm 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 not going to go with the book I'm going to go with this is this is now going to be my Sort of way think in my voice in the movie is going to be Jim Caviezel's and I think that that's kind of what happened it, again it's speculation totally entirely, speculation but, of course but, yeah
0: I mean that's okay yeah. it's what we're here to do I I mean mm. I, I think I was gonna say it kind of a different way but I completely agree with you I mean from what we can see on screen from what we can see from the deleted scenes you know so in what we can kind of read up on production notes and things like this you know historically um I mean, I get a sense, yes, that, uh, you know, that as Malik, I mean, and, and we're going to we can kind of segue into a little bit in, in kind of Malick shooting philosophy and kind of mm-hmm. filmmaking philosophy. You know, Malik shoots like crazy. He shot over a million feet of film. That's over 165 hours of film for this. Okay. How As many ins- pairs of feet is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, just take 160 160- divided by half. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, he uh, you know, which is insane. I mean, that's insane you're shooting digitally. I don't care what you're shooting. That's insane. I can't believe they shot that much film. Um, yes. yeah. you know, so, so it's it's my understanding everything that I've ever read or heard about the way he shoots is that You know, he wants to he likes to improvise a lot again. We talked about not just improvising dialogue, but improvising blocking. I've heard too that he will shoot every scene in like three different types of daylights. In three different types of lights so that so that he's you know, no matter what situation he gets himself into in the edit, he can do whatever he wants. And I've heard that he mixes them too. He mixes that, he, them up.
1: that he like that it's not even a matter of that he wants these three different types of daylight so that he knows the continuity is going to be correct. He'll take a
0: shot from sundown and then cut to a shot from midday. So he so he's got and, all yeah. this coverage. Yeah. So yeah. he he just I mean he shoots coverage like crazy and then he goes and he finds the film in the edit. So I think you're right. I think he got in the edit. The film starts speaking to him. It starts to like bubble up out of all of this footage. He's got mm-hmm. his editors working, and I, I think you're right. I think that. Caviezel, the tone of his performance, just kind of who that kind of character felt like and just Mm -hmm. the essence of that character seemed to kind of, I think, kind of uh, represent a little bit more of Malik's own kind of, you know, poetic kind of philosophical mindset. Yeah, his worldview. Yeah, and his worldview, yeah. and, world and kind of present it. You know, just I think felt tonally and stylistically more in line with the film that Malick and wanted to make. But it totally but, makes sense because if you look at a, again,
1: just from the the bits of Adrian Brody's performance that are in it, it definitely seems like Adrian Brody is much more of a typical lead character in a Hollywood movie, which is this mm. new, like this young kind of recruit that's that's terrified of going into battle and stuff like yeah. that. Whereas Caviezel's character never shows fear. He's never, not in he the, yeah. never breaks down. He never, you know, he's very calm. philosophical. Very Reminds me honestly calm. a lot of um of Rumblefish yeah. of uh Mickey Rourke's character Motorcycle Rumblefish, Boy. Yeah, Motorcycle Boy which is very very poetic, very calm, very yeah. like like this Napoleonic kind of like Gentle giant of, and and not giant in the way that he's like this like strong no. man or anything, but just this this and his this groundedness, gentle groundedness, yeah. And, yeah, and I think that that lines up. You know, just watching other Malick movies, that you can see malik's voice, of course, come through these things, and it really lines up to me with with malik's own worldview. And I think malik really saw himself in that character, and yeah, which is totally fair to me. Again, like
0: you know, who knows? Ethics, but it sounds good, uh, wise, yeah. But um um i i, but, mean, yeah. I think though I, and i don't know you know again like just to go off into a little bit of speculation some more i mean you know i i've read a little bit about adrian brody and mickey R- rourke's response at the time when they found mm-hmm. out that they weren't in the film i who know i don't know um what actually happened or didn't happen and so far yeah. as like how that was communicated to them um obviously if it was the case that, that they weren't made aware of this at all, that they weren't kind of handled in a in a polite diplomatic way, then, you know, uh, obviously that's not fantastic. Um, but it is, you know, there is a pragmatic, I mean, I, I'm a little bit split. Uh, I mean, I agree that obviously being able to walk away with a film that you wanted to make uh, is important. I mean, as a director, the execution of your vision is kind of why you're there and mm-hmm. the film that you end up with in the end is certainly important. But I, 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 being a little older now and kind of been through a little bit more, I, I've, I've been softened though to the realities of like the fact that this is human beings that you're working with and, mm-hmm. and that, you know, it's not always an ends to a means um, that, you know, how you treat the people that you're working with how you respect them their time their professionalism their talent um is really important so mm-hmm. I, I i'm not Terrence Malick. i'm certainly not passing any kind of judgment on him whatsoever but just for myself personally i certainly would do everything in the world i could possibly do to not let that happen to not set myself up for a situation where i'm going to have just a, i'm going to just get a bunch of actors and i'm going to get a ton of like footage, or, you know, ton of film, or a ton of, ton of, like, hard drive space, <laughs> and I'm just going to go shoot for 160 hours, and then I'm going to put together a film after the fact, and, you know, a lot of these people's time is just going to have been completely wasted, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I wouldn't personally make a film that way um but hey there's if there's a you know for every director out there there's a different way to make a film and that's fantastic and i definitely don't criticize malik for it it just wouldn't be what i would do
1: i think it's interesting too because there's a there's a hollywood reporter round table with a whole bunch of actors from like i think three years ago or something and yeah george clooney and christopher Plummer, are two of the actors who are of course they both worked with oh that's right christopher and, Plummer. Um, and yeah. christopher Plummer is like Basically talking about how he never wants to work with Malik again. Because of course he was in the New World and describes this whole thing of like that he would be delivering this monologue and then Malik would then take the camera and go over and look <laughs> yeah. at some bird and it was like. <laughs> but I think it's really and so uh, Christopher Plummer very unhappy with Malik, didn't like him, and yeah. whereas George Clooney takes it from a completely different angle, which is this more so this this looking at it of this like you know, I kind of expected that when I signed up for it, you know, that he took it much more of like this, this almost exercise of like, Hey, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to do work and I'm going to try and do really good work. And I'm going to try and, you know, really flex my acting muscles and try and do as good of a job as I can. And if none of it ends up in the movie, then that's, ta- to that's be, Malick's to be way. Fair,
0: to be fair, Clooney was in a very different position than Adrian yes. Brody. On that, yes, of course. Uh, for yeah, that, yeah. Adrian Brody is like, and I think Adrian
1: Brody's actually come out and said, pro- like since so he was very upset at the time, but has come out since and sort of said, I'm glad that the pianist was my yeah. debut. Cause it he thinks out. that he did a better job. Like he thinks that that was a better role for him to kind of build it, himself up. So,
0: and clearly it Yeah. It's, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I mean, But
1: again, and not to pass judgment on Malik, but like to me, I, if I was doing that, there's a point, like if I was going to do that, if there was a point where we're in the edit and I was like, oh damn, you know what? I actually really like this character's story much more. I want to focus on that. I would feel bad for that first actor. And I would, I would talk to them. Like I would go to them and sort of say, look, I like, this wasn't the intention going on. You got to let him down easy. but, But I, I like, there's, there's a story in there that I didn't realize was there before I got into the editing room. And I think we're going to focus on that. And that means that you're going to be in a lot of it, less of it than you expected. And I just want to let you, you know, I would do that. (laughs) I think Malik is very much more of the kind of like hermit artist who is just like, I'm going to work and I'm going to release it. And that's that (laughs) he's because he very is, you know, famously does not do a lot of public appearance. He's kind of hard to reach. So, so I think that that, you know, that's just Malik's side of working. Whereas I think that, i think that there are ways to balance it to do that and to like if you came across something you know i've had similar situations of course not to the point of like casting an actor and then removing them from a film but i've had points where i've had composers write entire scores that i've paid for like i have paid them and and they've written entire scores for a movie and you know i just realized that it's not right and so it happens i've talked to them and sort of said hey like this is you know it's not that the music was bad the music is really beautiful but it's not the direction i want to go in and so i've rehired And it's, it's awkward and it's unfortunate and, you know, it's, there's no easy way to do it. Obviously the person's going to be, you know, somewhat hurt. Anyone is. Um, But I think that there are ways to, to go about that, that are, are not people showing up to the premiere and and Kubrick did it too. You know, Kubrick cut out the entire score of 2001 A Space Odyssey and the composer got there and was like, yeah none of my music is in this
0: movie why so am i why am i at this premiere I mean, yeah, and i think that's happened, a key yeah. i think that's a key the take home it's is respect like, yeah. yes these things can happen but i mean come on everybody's got enough time to pick up a phone and yes. yeah and and say hey you know uh I, i'm so sorry but here's what's going to go down and here's why and it's and it's not your fault. It's not the performance was horrible because that's what a lot of people are going to think. I mean, I look, I know actors. Mm-hmm. Actor gets cut out of a film. The very first thing they're going to think is, I must have sucked.
1: Yeah, and especially and, in the situation that like that, this is your big break. Yeah, that like this is my It'd be first. Devastating. Like, this is, it, it's like you would think your career was over. Yeah, you think like I just got hired for a multi-million dollar blockbuster movie that's coming out like with one right. of those, you know, a really famous director even though he's not necessarily prolific at this point but famous yeah. and he's making his big comeback and i've been cut out from the main character role you're going to be heartbroken um, yeah. you're going to and... be
0: heartbroken yeah yeah so i so... think that
1: yeah definitely there's a level to which you could you could approach that respectfully and I, and so i don't while i don't disagree with the choice itself of of, of focusing on jim caviezel's character i think that the the ethics of going about it and, and letting Adrian Brody down perhaps sooner than the premiere would have been a, a, a better way of going
0: about it. <laughs> and um, who knows? Maybe that happened and somehow and you know, look, stories get turned around and kind yes, of you know, yeah. so uh, I'm not even I'm not even claiming that Malik di- wasn't generous and kind and mm-hmm, you know, who no. knows, maybe wires got crossed or the communications didn't make it through agents or who knows. So I don't even wanna I just like speaking kind of theoretically, but
1: mm-hmm. it's a good but, thing to take away from if you're if you're exactly, planning on directly that's
0: the yeah. way I try to use it. It's just okay. Like, how can I use this this uh, this example to kind of educate or inform mm-hmm. my own, you know, uh, methods of doing things? You know, my own life and work as a filmmaker, and yeah. and just kind of like, you know, try to learn from these things. That's it. So it's never and it's, like.
1: And we've talked a lot about, you know, we've kind of hinted at Herzog through this this episode too, which I think is kind of a perhaps a good place to like wind down a little bit on is, yeah. is this idea that. To me, um, Malick and Herzog are like the s- different sides of the same coin in that mm-hmm. they are very much opposites in many ways and very similar. And so, uh, you know, we talked about um, like landscapes with Herzog. It was a big part of our like the landscape of the soul was an entire right. episode of, of his masterclass. And um, Herzog uses like Herzog is so fascinated with human beings and with faces and with the human condition and understanding human beings Malik to me is almost the opposite of that that Malik, Malik's aspirations and fascinations come from human beings being involved with nature and that human beings are small parts of nature and that we all are Ooh. this these these tiny little animals that are running around and being violent to each other on this rock and so like Malik to me is much... As personal as things do get, but Malick, I think, is much more looking at humanity and the human condition in within its existence in nature and within its within its being a a smaller part of a larger picture. Whereas Herzog, very much to me, likes to focus on that humanity. Like that is the fascination for him is 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 human motivation and human existence and and you know kind of the philosophies of of you know what how do we shape the landscape around us and how does the landscape around us shape or shape us? Hmm. Um, You know, so I think it's really interesting that as similar as they are and that at like first glance, you might think that they are incredibly similar filmmakers that the, the philosophies of each of them are the same subject, but almost completely different conclusions. I think it's, and I think it's really interesting to Hmm. have done this film, especially coming off of our whole Herzog, uh, kind of special yeah um is that they yeah they're they're very similar and they're very different in some ways and i think that's really neat um
0: it's interesting i i i feel like you know when i kind of like think about the two filmmakers especially you know using this particular film as representative of malik's work since we were talking about it uh you know i get a sense i mean yes herzog his focus is you know i think that herzog uses yes he's interested in kind of humanity and human behavior but you know he's very interested in in utilizing landscapes to try mm-hmm. to 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 illustrate uh and express uh you know an inner feeling or condition um, of mm-hmm. humanity and so i i get a sense that this is very similar to uh, Malik, where you know, but Malik is kind of like zooming in a little bit more. Where Herzog is showing an entire horizon, an entire landscape, this huge, wide landscape. Usually, um, Malik is kind of focusing on aspects of it—a tree, a, a dying bird. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. A, you know, a leaf, or you know, these pieces. But but still, I would consider them landscapes, uh, and I would consider it that you know. Terrence Malick is very much trying to utilize these inanimate objects, this nature in the world to kind of, you know, represent, to to hint at uh, these inner conditions of humanity. But clearly the two work radically differently. I mean, yes, yeah, I, I, behind I know, the scenes, absolutely. I yeah. know Herzog is very much respects Malick. I don't know if the opposite is true, but I've definitely heard Herzog very specifically say that he, uh, um is a is, i don't know if fan is the right word but i know that he's mentioned malik's work in a positive light before um but you know i mean herzog works with a much greater sense of urgency he doesn't shoot any i mean i could imagine herzog would go nuts on a malik shoot you know because malik is just kind of i mean you almost could get a sense sometimes maybe that malik is like a fly on the wall in that mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. just shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting, and shooting. perhaps
1: showing the the positive and, side of that style, and, you know, and in contrast to Herzog, yeah,
0: yeah, of course. There's and I know that
1: they 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 like they've done presentations together, so I'm sure that the respect between them is mutual. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's yeah. just,
0: but of course, and it illustrates that there is no one way, right? There's no yeah, one way yeah. to make a film, and so you know, you can shoot 165 hours of film and come away with great film. You could shoot, you know. Uh, you know, almost a one-to-one ratio potentially and still come Mm -hmm. out with a great film. So yeah. And perhaps to
1: get personal again too, uh, you know, I find myself at least I land somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that there are, there are, bits and pieces that i choose from herzog's filmmaking philosophy and there are bits and pieces that i choose from malik's among many others of course but yeah um you know like the urgency i think is so important with herzog and that's really my like that's i would say the main thing that i I really get inspired from herzog by is just this like don't waste time Mm
0: -hmm. do
1: it you know get into it but there's also i can totally see myself you know for the movie that i'm doing this summer there's definitely gonna be moments where i ask the actors to improvise and i just roll for 15 minutes and 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 just get them, you know, just talk to them as they're, as they're playing out these scenes differently each time. And, and so there's a lot mm. of sort of more malic stuff I would say that I look at, or I also like sometimes to, to have the camera far away, you know, Herzog very much believes in getting up close and, and, and and if you're going to be you know if you're going to have something be there you know be mm-hmm. present with the camera mm-hmm. whereas there are times that i totally would yeah would agree with that but there are also times when i'm like no there's something about keeping the camera back and just having it observational and having this this far away view of of um like a scene playing out while you're while you feel like you're not necessarily involved in it and you just can examine this whole like almost third eye type type deal
0: yeah um
1: so yeah there's there's you know yeah. i don't think that I, I don't think that either of them either would say that my way is right and his way is wrong. Because again, no. they mutually respect each other. Um, but I think that it does, it's a really, really great, I think, uh, exercise to kind of look at what are the different philosophies of filmmaking and where can you learn from and pull from and, and apply those to your own work. And so I'm curious to know, like, where you land, do you think that you kind of, Bend more towards Herzog or or Malick or or neither. I mean, you know?
0: I, I mean, well, and again, I mean, these. It's not that there's like a Herzog style and a Malick style of filmmaking. Yes, there are yeah, just yeah. Aspects that they that they kind of they, they their examples are representative of potentially different ways of working that someone may mm-hmm. have and mm-hmm. there are other ways of working that these two people don't represent at all so yeah exactly, uh, so yeah. it's not that i don't want to represent it as that there's like a, a, a person a style no. and a person b style or you know yeah. so but there's they're just pieces you write and we kind of that's the whole point that you and i discuss these films and these podcasts is Um, is to kind of use them as examples to learn more about filmmaking and, you know, kind of evaluate and reformulate our own philosophies of filmmaking and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, kind of uh, gets the creative juices flowing. And we think of like new ways or different ways to work on our own projects and things like this. And and even, you know, increases our enjoyment of, of just being an audience member and watching films because we kind of hone in our own skills as an observer. So, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. me, I, I I would agree. I mean, yeah, I'm not dogmatic. I mean, first and foremost, there's no, re- at least for me, I don't see any reason to be dogmatic. So whatever no. works, I mean, I think whatever serves the story and whatever works for the group of people that you have together for that particular film is what you should do. So, mm-hmm. I I mean, I try not to even think about it in a way of like that there's this one way I should do it uh, versus another I mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. so for me I mean I think I'm kind of in the same way as you I could see you know I think urgency is important for me just on a personal level because I have a tendency to procrastinate I have a tendency to kind of you know get bogged down and lose interest if I don't have a fire under my butt and you know I'm not working quick but But then I also understand, like, I'm also okay with stopping to take time to get something right. And, Uh uh you know, if I have to, like, meditate on something for days or weeks or even months before I feel like I've got that, you know, clear for myself, then I'll do it. Um, So, uh, you know, I like I don't generally want to go out and shoot 100 hours of footage. Because I can't edit that way. It's not, you know, generally, generally, you know, some of this stuff is just logistics. I'm not Terrence Malick. I can't afford a room full of editors to like, hone, you know, yeah, to to whittle down all of it. To whittle down 165 hours of footage. I mean, I just logistically can't do that. So, you know, I just logistics define these things too often. So for me, I really try to get a much more you know uh narrow like not uh, narrow but just more specifically visualized in my head of what i want but who knows maybe in a decade maybe in 20 years or something you know maybe i'll be in a place where i can i can experiment like that and get mm-hmm. a bunch of great talented uh actors in the room or out in a field or wherever the heck we are in a warehouse and, <laughs> anyway yeah, and, and, and and like let them improvise and play around you know i mean that could be awesome so yeah you know i i, I really they don't try to look like look at it dogmatically no, uh I, yeah. I think all of these things it, it's just tools right you've got a toolbox these are like all the tools that are available to you and kind of this is part of the creative journey for every artist is figuring out what things work for you and what things maybe don't and and what works when and where so mm-hmm yeah i mean i i really couldn't say that there's any one way or the other that i would really
1: things work and things don't for lean yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: so anyway i I consider
1: myself more of the david lean film but uh but no i think it's it's uh it's it's really yeah i think it's I, i think that's ultimately the point right is is um what, at least what I try to do is was I I pick and choose things that work for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, if of I course. see something that works in a Madlock sense, um, then I'll go. You know, I'm gonna pull that and I'm gonna try and it, for I there's a scene that was not working for me for this this feature coming up and I was like I it was my least favorite scene in the movie but it was necessary because there was this um there's this exposition in the scene that really needs to be said and it's like. I've worked over it so many times. Like, how can I show this visually? How can I? And it just has to be said, essentially, um in this in this conversation. And so I've worked mm-hmm. around the dialogue to make the dialogue like as good as I possibly can make it. And even mm-hmm. then, I was like, it's just you know, it's just two people talking in a forest. I don't I don't like that. So I've honestly decided, and I just kind of redid the shot list for the scene last night, where I was like, I'm gonna try and do this in a very malic way, where I get a bunch of shots of them just walking around the woods, and I almost play this in voiceover,
0: mm-hmm. and have
1: this like. This almost dreamlike feeling of this this entire scene of them, you know Just 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 wandering through these woods and kind of like having these physical interactions with each other while they discuss And then we can cut to those conversation moments um, That are more traditionally shot but intercut those with these and I was like that brings so much more life to the scene And if it doesn't work, I've got those traditional conversations cut or shot So I can just like if I do that and somebody says okay That scene sticks out as just completely different from everything else in the movie well, then I can just go back to the more traditional way that it's shot because I'm going to be shooting those traditional, you know, conversations. I'm just getting that extra material to be able to play with in the edit. So, yeah, there's totally stuff that, like, when I look at how I make movies, I can – how do I pull from things that I I like from directors? And how do I, you know, where do I get that stuff? You
0: asked me. I think after thinking about it, I think (laughs) – probably roger corman would be there you go i'm like i'm like i got no money and i want to get together like a a a a bud like a a low budget b genre movie that's there oh god i just love that i I love the
1: philosophy of like we should do a corman movie one day but i love the philosophy of just like we've got this castle set for three more days let's make another movie exactly (laughs) that's That's what i'm talking about that's what
0: i'm talking about awesome all right man well on that note we'll wrap Mm. it up it's been another great episode Colin, thanks for hanging out with me. Everybody yeah. out there listening, thanks for hanging out with us. We hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, bye bye.